Zombie Fishbowl, a podcast about random shit. I'm Danielle. And I'm Melanie. And that's all I know to say, and now it's just improvising. Hi, Melanie, how are you? So, you know, it's not easy. You you think you know what you're going to say, and then you get past the whole, this is who we are, and then you're just like, and stuff. <laughs> all right, let's go. Yeah, we're not good at opening or closing the podcast yet. Um, but I mean, it's it's just us. I don't know. We're cute. It's fine. <laughs> Update. As of yesterday, we are now officially on iTunes. Woo! Only really happy about that because it means that people can rate and review us and it gives us a little bit more exposure, more people listen to iTunes. We're not like Apple enthusiasts or anything like that. We would be quite happy on Spotify, Podbean, things like that, but it's just not as um, uh, exposing. Yeah. <laughs> I like being exposed, Danielle. I need it. So yeah, if you've been listening, please go on and rate and subscribe and review and share with your friends. Yes, love us. Tell everyone about us. Keep listening. Also update. I know I'm still dropping out. I don't know why. Um, I tried a number of experiments with my other half. Um, don't know why I keep dropping out. If you have any theories or ideas or suggestions, please <laughs> let us know by one of our... Uh, social media outlets or equally by our email address zombiefishbowlpodcast at gmail.com please help me I'm not a producer I don't know how things work and I just don't (laughs) understand it Um, and it seems to happen pretty frequently with my audio and never with Melanie's so it's got to be something to do with my end of the recording So, so you know we record over Skype because we're basic and <laughs> for some reason, Melanie's a little harsh. Just... Since when did the term basic become like a huge insult? Um, I don't know. Since uh, pumpkin spice lattes, I guess. I'm, I'm assuming. Okay, because that's definitely an American thing. You can still say basic over here without offending people. <laughs> yeah, you say it over here and instantly you're just like, <gasps> that's, that's like calling somebody the C word. It's just like brutal. Oh, God. Well, <laughs> that's language and culture. I love it. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's our updates. Melanie, do you have anything to purge? Shit, I did. Uh-oh. It just left my brain. You purge first and let me see if I can remember mine. Okay. I'm purging this week my utter distaste and um, hatred for bras. Oh, yeah. God, yes. Yeah. Preach. So... I just, um, bras have been um, the bane of many women's existence since they were fucking invented. There's never been by a comfortable, by men, yes. There's never been a comfortable one manufactured. Don't let anyone lie to you. There's no such thing as a comfortable bra. I am very big chested and I need to wear a bra because society tells me so because they don't want to see me jiggling and jangling about fine but make me a nice bra that actually um is comfortable please because i i'm sick of spending money on bras that are uncomfortable i'm sick of spending money on bras that break after you wash them once i'm sick of spending money on bras that look horrible but are mildly comfortable the closest Mm -hmm. thing to a comfortable bra that i can get to is a sports bra 
Um, but that hurts my back because then it puts a lot of extra pressure on my back when I'm just wandering around with my big jugs at the front um, <laughs> because I don't like to wear super tight sports bras because then it looks like I'm wearing a sports bra and everyone will be like, why is she wearing a sports bra? Her boobs look weird. Her boob looks like, it looks like one giant boob at the front rather than <laughs> two well-defined. Uniboob. Yeah. So, you know. Hey, if anyone's got any really comfortable bra suggestions and ladies... I mean it. Don't just say that they're comfortable and you're like a perfect C cup and there's no like big busted ladies, if you're listening, send me some recommendations for some comfy bras, please. They'll send you recommendations and that bra's gonna cost you like 60, 70 bucks. Mm. I, I got I went on this big kind of like feminist tangent with Tam and Mall. You you get to buy underwear in bulk. All right. <laughs> Imagine having to buy each individual pair of underwear at 40 bucks a pop, you would go crazy and you'd be mm. fucking furious. Yep, yeah. it's, a gendered, it's, it's, a, it's a gendered um, tax, basically. It's like, oh, you've got boobs? Here is this thing you're going to have to buy for the rest of your mm-hmm. life. I, oh, instead of, ladies, <laughs> instead of sending me your recommendations for comfy bras, how about we all just say fuck the bra and stop wearing them? All together now, then no one can complain. I don't think men would complain <laughs> if women stopped wearing bras. No, but my back would. Oh, God. The bloody back and the big I know. Bones. My tits are heavy. I've got, like, triple Ds over here. They're very heavy. Yeah, mine are also heavy, which is why I like a sports bra, but only in a certain shape. If it, like, is on my neck, it'll give me a migraine, you know, when the pressure's on the back of your neck. If it's, like, a cross-backed sports bra can deal with that but then they have those weird pads that they put in them anyway and their pads move around inside the bra so then all of a sudden you're looking in the shape of your boobs you're going why are there four lumps there (laughs) (laughs) it's just awful but yeah maybe just redesign completely i mean some kind of strap i don't know they're just bras just need a complete redesign yeah everybody get on it Get yeah. us some better bras. I don't like the, the, s- the strap sticking into my shoulder. I don't want, you know, I have scars. My my arm, sorry, my shoulder is permanently dinted at the top from supporting mm-hmm. my boobs. That's not right. Yeah. When your yeah, fat grows around like... your clothing, you know you've got a problem. <laughs> uh, side note, I think I remembered what my purge was. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. It's not nothing that big, but I finally watched The Witch. Or I the love that movie. The Vavitch. The Vavitch. <laughs> and it was amazing. Oh, Damn. Damn. So good. I don't know why. I felt compelled to sort of live tweet my experience with it, but that was that was super fun. But again, there's this thing that happens when it comes to witch movies and, and things like that that just I, I don't want to say it doesn't it's not so much that it triggers me, but yeah, just just the whole uh, witch Satan dynamic thing just does bother me as as a practitioner that's the point of the movie though it's if the pilgrims were right if they they were right about all the things that they were paranoid about if they were right this is what it would look like i don't want to spoil the movie for people you see because i really want people to see it but as a sort of like on an anthropological side like of it it's going right okay so what would the reality of their paranoia look like here it is and it's really fucking good yeah no it was damn good and and even again even at the end when when i was sitting there kind of 
I was still super smiling and I fucking yeah. loved it. Yeah. Uh, it's still just that there's that, that thing like with same thing with, um, uh, Sabrina, the teenage witch mm-hmm. on Netflix. I love it. I think that show is amazing. But every time they say hail Satan, I just kind of cringe. And, uh, uh, I, I know it's funny, but I kind of hate it too. Yeah. Well, they're going off of the, um, the biblical sense of the witch, which is, which yeah. was created by James the first sort of, well, not created by him, but definitely sort of made popular by oh, James the first. And, uh, uh, you know, yeah, cool. But I think that there's probably a big, def- a huge, thick, bold line between um, a witch in the biblical sense and a uh, a witch in the sort of pagan sense, which you are. So. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, Still, people don't know the difference. A lot of people don't know the difference. They come into my store, they see a pentacle and assume that we are just up to our eyeballs in Satan. And it's like, no, 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 not at well, all. It's an opportunity to educate and to enlighten rather than, you know, make people feel bad for their ignorance. Oh, yeah. No, no. I, I come at it with love and I tell mm-hmm. them, you know, Pentacles only scary because of the satanic panic was a bunch of bullshit in the 80s and uh, in the 70s and 80s. And yeah, I go I go on to a thing and, and explain that each point symbolizes something about, you know, earth, air, fire, water and spirit and blah, blah, blah. But still, yeah. Isn't that satanic? No. God. Why? I probably define by the Bible a lot of the practices within your faith, if you will, do follow satanic themes. But that's a discussion for an entirely other episode. It's for been, another day. Yeah, it's being demonized very deliberately. So yes. that's, that's, you know. But Melanie's like all about the love. I'm all about the love, you guys. Yeah. yeah. No <laughs> Satan over there. Melanie, no. do you even believe well, in Satan? No. Yeah. Uh, no, no. Okay. To, to, to get into it without getting into it, I believe that if you believe in Satan, he's real for you. I believe that if you believe in God and Jesus, if you believe in the uh, flying spaghetti monster, if you really believe those with 100% of your faith, I believe that they are real for you and you will get real results. So but because I don't believe in Satan, that's not my reality. Um, yeah, he does not exist to me. Cool. Yeah. And I think it's all poppycock. Anyway, this week's topic, Melanie. <laughs> she Fair just enough. doesn't react anymore when I say that. <laughs> um, I've forgotten what our topic is this week. Our topic well, first, is... first, we've got to have a breathe. We have to have oh, a breathe. Oh, yeah, yeah. We've purged, purged. Purged. All right, on the count of One, two, three. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's that definitely good. better. Yeah. yeah, I've even gotten written on my notes here. Don't forget breath, and then I forgot <laughs> it. And and we mentioned it, and we still almost forgot it, but we did it. <laughs> You're welcome. We yes, yes. So okay, um, moving on. Not because I'm trying to rush us, but because that that's how a podcast works. Um, <laughs> <laughs> our topic this week is haunted objects. So what's a haunted object, Melanie? Haunted objects are objects or household items that are affected or possessed by a spirit. Definition, definition of haunted, frequented by a ghost or having or showing signs of mental anguish or torment. Definition, object, a material thing that can be seen or touched. Also, psychologically, a thing external to the thinking mind or subject. Fantastic. Boom. 
I think that there can be no doubt that you defined haunted objects. Defined the shit out of it, you guys. You've just just defined every corner and facet of a haunted object. (laughs) (laughs) So this week, Melanie and I have both come with our different approaches. And so, but I'm going first this week because for some reason, I think we got into the habit of letting Melanie go first and then me going second. I think probably because mine are like academic papers and I don't want people to sign off before they've like gotten on board. But this I one's think it's a more like I have, I think it's more like I have so many different things. I have got like 10 or 15 different things. I'll, I'll mention a few and then you go in with your, your, your awesome, well-researched stuff and then i'll like finish it with a tiny little little snippet of a thing but yeah no it doesn't seem fair that i keep starting it so please it seems to be working fine but we're just gonna try a little different this week and i'm gonna go first and see if it works if it doesn't then anyway (laughs) in this particular instance i read a fantastic essay by someone called aviva breffel called freaks of furniture the useless energy of haunted things Ooh. Yeah, it's nice. it, it's really, really good. I can't possibly go into all the details. Um, I've Like I said, I've gleaned some stuff off from it that I really like. Uh, if you're interested in reading the whole thing, get in touch and I'll send you the, uh, the link. It's really, really good. In her essay, she talks about the mania and ap- like the epidemic of spiritualism spe- sweeping the USA and in particular Britain in the 1850s. The Victorian era is pretty well known as a point in time where people got really into communing with the dead as like yeah. and like a passion for seances. Spirit photography didn't come into being until about 1862 and that took spiritualism off in a whole new direction. But before this Victorians used everyday objects to communicate with the dead. Mm-hmm. And everything and anything was game as I'll get into. So basically anything in your house could jump up and start acting out for you to be all like, what the fuck? So domestic objects became active animated things. Things would so passionately and spontaneously come to life that sometimes it would lead to their own destruction. Such enthusiastic movements of a candlestick might result in them snapping or erratic behavior of brooms might make the stick break. So we're talking hats, tables, chairs, bottles, flower pots, kettles, books, brooms, everything. Anything could come to life and haunt you at any time of the day and you could and it could really have an effect on your life. Yeah. These things would misbehave, pull juvenile pranks, cause disarray, mock you and then self-destruct. So how rude, right? (laughs) <laughs> so this, this leads up to the first idea this essay brought forward, that the behaviour of these objects is a reflection of how our things have influence over us. Okay, So at the time, the middle class were pretty materialistic. They were obsessed with what other people would think about them, so the stuff that they bought had to reflect a certain taste and aesthetic and say certain things about them. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like people throughout time. But it became like a real stress during the Victorian era. Yeah. So this actually, we don't realize this, but this actually gives agency to our belongings, which allows them to sort of have their own power and influence over us. So Mm -hmm. by allowing um, our belongings to define its owners, essentially, not just in terms of their taste and in their character, but also... 
it gives them the ability to speak about us just as much as we can speak about ourselves so we're kind of giving like this sort of equal footing to not equal footing but sort of like giving this equality to inanimate objects so if our objects are misbehaving what does that say about us and also if we don't have control over the messages our belongings are sending out what chaos or misunderstandings could they cause mm-hmm. so to shift the blame from the owner of the object onto the object itself there are a few leaps of logic ne- logic needed First, you need to give the object its own energy, its own life force that makes it act independently from you, and therefore you are not responsible for its actions. To explain where this energy comes from is tricky. Critics of spiritualism say that energy comes from the manufacturing process. Hmm. More on that that later. Spiritualists and believers think it comes from supernatural origins. So here's where you've got the split. Yeah. So this idea, so, sorry. so this is where we have the idea that an object is either possessed by the spirit of a dead person, is enchanted, or is itself mimicking the living as if it um, is in fact its own independent being. So it's not really clear which one of those is more mildly, widely believed with the spiritualists, because the spiritualists themselves tended not to define exactly what was going on. So it could have been possessed, it could have been enchanted, or it could be that the item itself has its own life. But or it could be some combination of all three. But there is they do not commit to what it is. Yeah. So um, you know, sometimes the same sort of things might be happening where they're saying, Oh, that's the ghost of Aunt Mildred. And then something similar might happen and then, oh, it's possessed by, it's enchanted, sorry, by a witch. And then someone would say, oh, it's actually um, its own life force itself and it's trying to tell us something. It's alive. Exactly, it's alive. Let's not forget to mention that there are obviously critics of the whole fad. I found this fantastic quote. It's by the poet laureate to Queen Victoria, Alfred Lord Tennyson. Have you heard of him? Yeah. Yeah, he's like a badass anyway. He's quoted as saying, I am convinced that God and the ghosts of men would choose something other than a mere table leg through which to speak to the hearts of men. So so don't be for one second that there were people like going, you know, seriously, you're going to believe everything you read. Like there were quite a lot of critics of it. Anyway, I did mention very briefly before that there are a few circulating theories about the sources of the energy in everyday objects. I did mention that it might have something to do with the manufacturing process. So let's get into that bit. Someone at some point made that thing that is possessed or is um, enchanted or whatever. Somebody made that. Yeah. So another way to explain how the energy came to be in that object is how it was made um some said that the energy was a residue of the anonymous labor that anything Mm -hmm. made by hands of um men and women could possess some otherworldly power um this could either be uh inflate you could look at it as being like an inflated ego like look at how powerful we are we can bring inanimate objects to life right or it could actually be read as the fear of what we create 
that we have no control over the things we make and therefore they can control us. So that brings us back to that beginning, like bit at the beginning about how our belongings define us. Now they can also control us. Okay, so um, how, how do they control us? They're already embarrassing us. And now they're actually refusing to function in the way that they're intending to. So yeah. what should be a useful thing with a purpose now is obnoxiously rebelling and setting a bad example to the other stuff that they don't have to do what they're told. It's their life and they'll do what they want. <laughs> damn it. Right. So, you <laughs> you know, household appliances rebelling against you. So our ability to use our stuff for the intended purpose becomes impossible and they become useless. So this then reflects back onto the owners again in that they are now incapable of keeping up their homes. Uh, basically, the servants can't serve the tea in a floating teacup and a maid can't dust a clock that's wandering around the parlor, you know. Yeah. So now this misbehaving stuff is having a very real effect on domestic labor. My phone is talking to me. How dare that phone? It's disobeying. Exactly. It's like, that's weird. I'm going to leave that in. That's an example of a haunted object. <laughs> Rebelling. My phone ended up on the bed. I, I don't remember putting my phone on the bed, but right before we were recording, I was like, where the fuck is my phone? I found it right in the middle of the bed. Hand of Jesus. <laughs> All right, go. Perfect. Right. I don't even remember where I was also. Um, uh, right. So domestic, so misbehaving stuff is having an effect on domestic labor because you can't get anything done. Uh, so there's like the talk about domino effects here. So on top, because of that, now everyone starts getting lazy. So you've got your servants, you, because you're obsessed with seancing, people in your proximity because they can't function properly because their shit's rebelling. It's all just <laughs> screwing everything up that's meant to be within the domestic space of a respectable Victorian household, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so remember how I mentioned that there is all that social pressure to possess certain items, dress their homes in a certain way, and project certain messages? Yeah. Well, that's that's still a thing they've got to contend with. And now they've got these haunted objects. They're following the rules. They're buying the stuff. And now the stuff is misbehaving. So suddenly the middle class folk feel like enslaved by not only the social aspect of keeping up appearances, but the very tangible reality of attempting to do so. Because their table keeps moving around. <laughs> <laughs> their bed is floating. Exactly. It is also a reflection of very real fears bubbling under the surface about domestic workers and the laboring class. Mm -hmm. So let us move back to the manufacturing process again uh, for being a potential, potentially responsible for that energy that's inside the objects. Because if it's not the energy of the production process itself, so I wasn't very clear in that I was... Um, saying that the energy that came that the, in the first instance was it was like because it was made it had its own energy because the manufacturing process would imbibe it sort of with this this power um i'm i'm not so convinced by that it's kind of got a lot of holes but the next yeah. few things kind of have a little bit more to it 
it'll start to look a little bit more familiar in sort of superstitious ways. Could it actually be like like the materials that have been used to make the objects are evil? Like the wood in a set of drawers is made out of something that's actually satanic or evil in its, you know, composition. Cemetery wood. Yeah. Um, just, you know, we might not know what is on this earth that might belong to Satan or belong to demons. And we might unwittingly make something out of that material. Are the laborers themselves unwittingly creating objects that follow certain patterns and shapes that enchant objects that they're making? So mm. could they accidentally be making enchanted objects? I've got so much to say on this, by the way. Oh. This, is, this is great. Okay, good, good. Right. So is the supernatural power that has given the object its own agency been imbued in the object at the time of manufacture or later during the seance? So there's, it's hard to say, and most spiritualists didn't bother. As previously mentioned, they like to keep things vague. So they didn't really like to say that the carpenter created a table that was satanic and evil because the wood was evil and because the shapes, uh, the underside of the table were evil and things like that. They didn't want to rule anything out and they also didn't want to confirm anything because, you yeah. know, they were frauds and they were charlatans mm-hmm. and they were, you know, and so the more vague they were and the more um, possibilities things had, the more ways they could get away with lying and doing, you know, you know, fake things, you know, they could get away with more. Like, yeah. Vague. Right. So now we've got these, items these objects that are full of energy what are we going to do with this energy so we've established that objects have power and energy and it's quite widely accepted that these powers are very very strong we've that whole trope about how um five men can't hold down a table that's shaking um you know things getting flung across the the room with such force that it breaks that you know unbreakable things or smashes through windows so this energy that's been created or has been imbibed inside these objects is incredibly strong so what are we supposed to do with it at the moment it's a wasted energy which is a very very un-victorian thing if something is producing energy it or anything that can be used it should be used so you don't want like useless energy going around the place dancing about being silly and not serving its intended use is not acceptable so they've got all this strength they've got all of this ability and they're not utilizing their ability so they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing this cup is not being a cup but it has a different energy so we need to harness that energy in some way so we got to make it work for us and so how do you make it work for you is turning that energy into a way for you to communicate with the dead yeah so you're utilizing that wasted energy to do something that will benefit everyone and give it its right and proper place in society and almost kind of gives you a sense of control over it again okay yeah 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 because being out of control of things is not fun for anyone a no 
<laughs> particularly Victorian era middle class people, as we know from history, they kind of really liked to get their hands out and control as much as they possibly could. And just generally people who want to keep house and keep face, they just need to have control of things. So now I don't feel so enslaved by my belongings. You know, they, they, they're embarrassing me, but, and they're not doing what they're told, but I've given it a narrative that I can, that I can control. But underneath this, if we sort of think about all the, the terminology I've been using and sort of the, the the language that I've been using to describe this, there's actually there's a little bit more of a psychological thing going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, in a sense, like I, I being the Victorian middle class, I'm afraid of the power my belongings have over me, the control they have, the energy it's wasting when it's not doing as it's told, and I don't like how I can control them. So before I do my big reveal, I just want to say the essay itself goes into way, 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 way more detail and had far more places to take multiple ideas. But overwhelmingly, I came away with this sense that the Victorian mania around haunted objects in their home was a very understandable and very creative reflection of the fears the middle classes had about labouring classes and of slavery or more specifically, how the ruling, that's air quotes, ruling classes could maintain control over and harness the energies of these groups of people. Yeah. So, of course, there's there's lots of things that can be said about morality, social expectations, gender roles, spirituality, fear and fascination with death, mortality, so on. There's way more to it. There's never any, there's never, never just one explanation for things it's always very very complex but a sort of surface level interpretation of this completely ridiculous time where people genuinely believed that their tables could talk to them had to be in some way a reflection on how they viewed the objects in their home that their possessions defined and controlled them and how their possessions are rebellious if their possessions are rebellious, these objects can be put to work by communing mm-hmm. with the dead for them and therefore still totally under control, right? Yeah. So it is is a very, very middle-class way of coping with certain things going on with society. And, you know, far be it for me to say that it wasn't really fun way of kind of coping with those things because I'll have been all upon that. I think that if I was around um, in the 1850s and, and stuff like that, I probably would have been on the spiritualist train if I'm really honest with you. Cause it was oh, a lot. Yeah. It was way fun. Dickens yeah. was on it with you. I mean, there were some great names there trying to work out what was going on. And um, we'd be smoking some mummies and raising the dead. Yeah, I definitely, yeah, yeah, I don't, well, I'd like to think I wouldn't smoke the mummies, but, you know, it's entirely possible that someone would convince me to do it. Just think about how shitty we were as teenagers. We would have smoked some mummies. <laughs> All right, fine. Okay, we weren't that bad. Yeah. We we were rebellious, and I was a shitty teenager. I was a super shitty teenager. I would have totally smoked a mummy. <laughs> 
Like, I don't even have to guess. I'm like, I guarantee it. Even if the yeah, yeah, done. 1800s. I think that I would have done it if other people were doing it. I'll be the first to admit that I was definitely, like, very, very susceptible to peer pressure. (laughs) And I still am. Because I just want people to like me. Oh, Bobo. But yeah, so that's my extremely long and convoluted interpretation of about 10% of this woman's essay. It's so good. (laughs) Honestly, I recommend people go and read it. But I just kind of have this, uh, I just had this sort of idea that I would try to explain why the Victorians were so, like, it's so silly when you think about it. Just actually think about what they're doing. It's so silly. They're, They're talking to the dead through inanimate objects and they genuinely yeah. it was a it was like a thing for years where people were yeah. like there's if you i'm gonna post them on the um instagram but there's a, a magazine called punch which was a victorian publication that was kind of satirical and there's always like there's these cartoons of of spiritualist mediums and um possessed items and uh, you know, just objects and stuff like that. And they're just so ridiculous. But those people that actually believe that those things, it's really cool because they depict the energy that these objects have as hands. So you have like an umbrella with like a hand sticking out of it. And that hand represents the energy. Um, or like you'll have a piano that has a bottle that has hands sticking out of it playing the piano or a guitar playing itself with hands. So the way that they visualized the energy was still using um, human elements. So, you know, it, it, it it's an interesting, you know, just like how, how do you visualize an energy you can't see? Yeah. So it's quite yeah, cool. I, so I'll post them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to see them. I want to read that article, too. That sounds awesome. It's really good. So i got some things to say about that. Yeah, go. The whole inanimate object uh, sort of gaining consciousness, gaining life, it's it's not uh, it's not strictly regional to, you know, Victorian mm-hmm. uh, England or, or America. Um, it's all over the place, especially in, in Japan. They have some yokai. A significant amount of yokai and I will get into this more when we eventually do have a yokai uh, episode because mm-hmm. they're my favorite thing um speaking of which I also have yokai appreciation day coming up which I'm going to be turning into a whole week so after this episode airs there'll be an entire week of yokai coming your way Ooh. on all social media platforms <laughs> fucking throwing that out there because it's my baby I've invented this holiday and it's mine <laughs> Anyway, in uh, yokai lore, there's – how do I get into this without getting too much into it? Um, basically, so they have spirits that are inanimate, inanimate objects that have become sentient. One of my favorites is Casa Obaje or Obaji. Obaji? Uh, basically, it is an umbrella with one eye, a long tongue, one, possibly two feet in sandals, and two wiggly, wiggly arms. Mm-hmm. And this umbrella yokai uh, is said to lick the side of your face with a cold, icy tongue. And it's supposed to sort of um, be there to explain that weird, icky feeling when you feel like something's brushed your te- cheek and nothing's there. Mm. It is not a malicious spirit, but it is just the the spirit of lost and discarded umbrellas. 
Now, in UK lore, it's usually like an item that has been in use for decades, for generations, an item that has been, uh, you know, in the family and loved and utilized for a very long time, like walking canes, umbrellas, uh, shoes, all kinds of fun stuff. And um, like I said, when we get a UK episode, y'all are going to get a fucking earful about this. <laughs> But so it's not uncommon for a lot of different folklore and a lot of different mythologies and 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 beliefs and philosophies to involve inanimate objects gaining sentience or gaining uh, like a spirit. When it comes to Victorian times, what makes a lot of sense to me is they were they were kind of awful in a lot of ways. Throwback mm-hmm. to the mummy episode, just. <laughs> A lot of disrespect for the dead while having this this moral believing to have like this moral high ground kind of like just weird yeah that colonialist idea yeah yeah um so it makes sense that they got really heavy into spiritualism and having the the seances and my favorite is yeah the the uh the the photography Oh, the ectoplasm photography. Fucking great. Yeah, that's a little bit later than the, the than <laughs> this um essay talks about. But yeah, that's absolutely fascinating. Do you think that it's potentially guilt? I, I, I don't. So I'm not entirely sure. But to me, it makes sense. As somebody who's performed a lot of seances, right? When you, when you invite something in to speak with you, whether... Like one of our friends who believed that he was speaking to was it Queen Victoria or something like that, or another friend who believed that he was speaking to an archangel. Um, but when you open the door for communication on that kind of level, you do invite things in. Whether you, I know, I know that you're not a big believer in that whole thing, but I, I am. I've seen mm-hmm. it. I felt it. I've been there. Mm-hmm. So when you open that door, things come in, and it makes absolute sense for them to sort of look for things to settle in, to. Um, either communicate with you or or bother you or harass you or whatever what else that was that was another point i was going over with that oh shit like the whole the whole time we're talking about oh my god this is so interesting i have so much to say <laughs> <laughs> but to me it makes sense uh they 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 open the doors by wanting to have communication and just on a uh not even so much an unconscious, a subconscious level, but just it's always in the back of their mind that's something that they're looking for is to communicate with the dead, even like during the day or what have you. And you always have that. And so you sort of invite or manifest or, yeah, just create into being things that want to communicate with you. And even from a psychological standpoint, it makes sense that they're seeing things that they want to see, regardless of whether that's true or not. Yeah. Yeah, I think it takes that guise, but I think the psychological push that makes Victorians um, able to believe that, you know, the sort of the leap, the thing that makes them leap (laughs) to the conclusion that it's the dead speaking to them, is that I imagine them having lives that are incredibly uptight, really, really rigid, really structured and controlled, and have very little influence on their own like they don't get to use do things that they like doing maybe and especially when we talk about gender we talk about women are really um really a, a huge part of the spiritualist community because they yeah. had absolutely no control over their lives so so you just imagine Ow. yourself all pent up and all like un, unable to actually be who you want to be you've got all these social pressures and all that sort of stuff but then there's also 
um, all this stuff going on in, in, in society itself with laborers and slavery and, uh, you know, revolts and rebellions. And, and, and you're in the middle of the Industrial Revolution. You don't quite know what's going on. You don't quite know how things are, are, are coming to being in your possession. It, basically, things are out of your control while you yeah. are simultaneously expected to control everything. And at some point, something's going to burst. And what happens is people start seeing things that are entirely explainable through just simple, um, you know, logic. But they start seeing it in a in a in a spiritual way, in a way that they can explain and control and mm-hmm. harness for their own means. Yeah. And and you know, here is this thing that's not doing what it's supposed to do but if I tell it to talk to my auntie Ethel and get her to talk to me then I've harnessed this energy and I have some control over my life yeah um and then also you know combine that with all the other stuff that's going on the sort of morality and the 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 the, everyone's obsessed with the dead and 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 dying and um medicine is becoming a a more modern thing because it's only really during victorian era i think we're starting to really come into what we would recognize as modern medicine yeah you know we've had quite a long time where we've been grave robbing and doing things like that but it's 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 x-rays are going to come into being soon and you know um tesla is going to start talking about autopsies yeah it's just it's all starting and it's all at the sort of like beginning you're talking about 1850s we're right at the beginning of this i mean they're even sort of started to talk about time travel yeah Another thing that they want to harness and control is time. I mean, they were obsessed with trying to control stuff because I think the society was so rigid. That's that's just my, you know. If you try yeah, to also- fit loads of squ- square people into round pegs or round people into square pegs, I should say, you're going to get some resistance at some point. And that's well, the was- least that took them to spiritualism. Yeah, but I mean, it was it was also a time. Yes, it was really rigid, but it was coming out of a time that was considerably more rigid. So now you have like um, the the ability to uh, uh, the, the the art scene and and things like that are kind of blossoming in a whole new way too. So it, it's it's it was it was an interesting time, and uh, <laughs> they they also uh, England killed us with mummies. Hashtag. It's <laughs> my new what favorite if? hashtag. <laughs> I'm not allowed to argue back about this one because I had to concede it. Yep. So. <laughs> There's an argument on Twitter about it if you want to go check that out. It was pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Um, so, when it comes to helmeted objects, I thought that it was only right that I come at you with a few stories. Okay. Well, yeah, so <laughs> I want the stories. Yeah. Um, the only problem is, is A... A lot of them I can't, I couldn't get enough information to give you like a solid good story. And a lot of these I tried to research as best as I could as far as any sort of like historical background, uh, context, names, things like that. And a lot of them, you know, couldn't get a whole lot about it. And the ones that I could, everything that I could get was all based around dolls. So I don't want to give you nothing but doll stories. (laughs) Instead, I'm going to add onto our list the topic of haunted dolls or spooky okay. ass dolls because there are so many and they're so good. So I'll do I'll do two. Okay. For right now. First one is Poopa the doll. 
Poopa the doll was made to look like her owner in the 1920s. Now, this owner, I cannot find her name, but there is a picture of her with this doll in the 1920s. Poopa was said to have been this girl's best friend. She has a felt body, a little blue felt dress, and a bright blue felt robe. Uh, bow, sorry. <laughs> and a bright blue felt bow on top of her head. This girl, she owned this doll until she eventually passed in 2005. She loved this doll, lived with this doll, even told her grandchildren that this doll was known to move around on her own, to speak to her, to keep her secrets, and had even saved her life. How? We don't know. But this doll meant everything to this woman. She sounds a bit strange. She sounds a bit strange, but she was... She was, uh, I believe, born in Italy in the 1920s, moved around a whole lot, um, all the way all the way around Europe to America, back to America and back. Um, I think she eventually passed away in the U.S. in 2005. Yeah, even even so much like uh, at the end of World War II, as a young girl, her grandmother had passed away and she had taken a a button from her grandmother's dress and sewed it onto Poopa's dress. This this doll was then passed on, I believe, to family who kept it in a glass display case to sort of to honor the, the the woman who owned her. And, you know, this was a doll that survived World War Two and, and an entire lifetime with the person, which does not happen often with dolls. Mm-hmm. You know, as kids, how long did we have our dolls for before we either threw them away, lost them or they just broke? Well, so, to be fair, we li- were like sort of in the 80s, which was kind of a disposable time, yeah. wasn't it? Um, but I do still have one. Do you have one? We usually have one left over. I have a stuffed animal that I got when I was like 11. His name is Byron, and he had sad eyes. And uh, my mom gave it to me when I was at my most depressed. But this bunny, I still have, and I will, I will die with it. I know die Byron. With it. I know Byron. Yeah. Floppy bunny. I have a teddy bear that I believe was my first birthday present. I'm um, called Bixby. I think oh. most people might have just that one item. That has. Oh, I... <laughs> I've forgotten that they've named the Samsung helper Bixby. <laughs> also, every time, so I've said it and now it's like, hello, do you want me to do something? Our phones are haunted. Right yeah. Now. Yeah. I want to rename it because now I can't talk about my teddy bear in my phone's presence. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> anyway. So at the death of her owner, Poopa was placed in a pla- glass display case. She did not like that. Mm. According to the family, the doll hates to be confined. Will ta- tap on the glass. She'll change position with uh, within the cabinet, sometimes knocking thing- other things off in the cabinet or moving things aside. Her arms will be in different positions. Her legs will cross and uncross. And there will be subtle changes in her expression. Now, if you Google Poopa the doll, P-U-P-A, I want to say pupa, but I'm pretty sure that's not how it's supposed to be pronounced. <laughs> You'll see pictures of her and she's she's a pretty uh, spooky ass doll. It is also said that the glass in the display case will fog and you will occasionally see the words handwritten in a childish sort of uh, font. The words Poopa hate. Her location is kept secret, though many parapsychologists insist that they have gotten footage of her moving. Now, she would not move fast enough for you to get like really good, you know, it's not like Chucky or anything, but it's uh, 
you know that that what's that called claymation no stop animation uh, yeah where they, they take a series of pictures and you can see the shifting in the body and stuff like that okay so yeah they've been keeping her 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 location secret because they don't want her to be that that spooky haunted thing that's on every fucking parapsychologist show you know ghost adventures or crap like that like annabelle but, you know i hate ghost adventures i hate it yeah. so much yeah i hate it it's like the worst show i watched I, do you want to know how much of ghost adventures i've seen how much minutes. 10 minutes that's all yeah. i needed to know that that guy the main character whatever his name is is a total douchebag yeah, the worst. And when you're looking up this shit, that's all you find on Google. Zach says this about haunted mirrors. Zach says this about oh, oh I hate you. I hate you. I yeah, hate you. Seems he seems no. We won't get into that because we need to make um TV shows about ghost haunting. Ghost haunting an episode theme, like yeah. an episode topic, because I have a lot to say about it. It's the modern day charlatans that are yeah. That they're just getting loads and loads and loads of money for doing fuck all. And actually, in his case, being a total asshole about it. Totally. He's like the Chris Angel of fucking uh, <laughs> ghost hunt TV shows. Okay, that's all we got to say. We'll, yeah, we'll yeah. talk more. Sorry. Yeah, so. Boop. Boopa. Boop. Not boopa. Poopa. Poopa. <laughs> so that's really all I have about her. But she spooked me. And, and reading about her, I thought that was really cool. And. And again, kind of from a uh, from somebody who d- does believe in ghosts, who has seen it, who's had my experiences, generally, generally, if somebody is not throwing that object right in the middle of the feeding frenzy that is, uh, you know, TV and parapsychologists and stuff like that, that kind of gives it a little bit more credence to me. Yeah, I suppose so. You know, just a little bit, not not a whole lot. And again, since I can't find the girl's name, that that is a little red flag. But I like the story, so there's that. Yeah, and also if you do um, Google Poopa the doll, she is terrifying. She's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is definitely a haunted doll. Oh yeah, now keep that Google open because I got another one for you. Nice. Isla de los Isla de los Munecos or Island of the Dolls. Oh, I know Island of the Dolls. Yeah. Fuck that. Ooh. And the Island of the Spiders. <laughs> so just south of Mexico City, between the canals of Jomico, Jochimico, there lies an island so small that it is more like a floating garden than anything. The legend. In about 1950, Don Julian Santana left his wife and daughter to live on this small island. One day, the body of a young girl washed up in the water, lily, water lilies. Shortly thereafter, a doll washed up as well. Assuming the doll to belong to the dead young girl, he hung the doll in a tree as a sign of respect. Not long after, he started hearing whispers, footsteps, and anguished wailing. It's believed the grief of being unable to save the girl led him to believe he was being haunted by her. He started hanging up any doll parts he could find, regardless of their condition that they were in. In the trash, washing up on shore, he believed that the dolls would appease the girl's spirit and just ward off evil spirits in general. Even the locals of the region consider Doll Island to be more charmed or blessed than haunted and scary as fuck. Mm-hmm. For 50 years, he accumulated hundreds, possibly thousands of dolls and doll parts. Headless dolls, just doll heads, doll arms, dolls covered in graffiti. Oh, it's, it's, it's terrifying. 
Mm. He died in 2001, drowned, surrounded by water lilies in the exact same spot that he believed he found the body of a dead girl. He believed? You may have noticed my strange choice of words. Yeah. No girl's body was ever documented as having been recovered there. His family even believes that he imagined the girl, and but, but he believed it with all of his heart. Mm. My personal theory is that his guilt over leaving his daughter led him to manifest the dead girl. Okay. The island only became a tourist attraction, complete with a museum, after his death. So for 50 years, it was just him and these dolls. Yeah. And I get, you look at these pictures, and my God, you can't get more nightmarish than that. Yeah, no, it's terrifying. And the reason I mentioned the spiders is that it became like a fucking ecosystem for all of the sort of venomous spiders and nasty yeah. shit that live in that area. And you can like be walking up to a, a like a freaking decapitated doll and, and like a massive spider can crawl out. Oh, just bleh. I'm more afraid of the spiders than the bloody <laughs> dolls. But I mean, you you could not pay me to go there. No. No. no, because, again, even though the little girl, we we don't believe the little girl actually died there, right? Mm-hmm. But all of that intention and all of that fear, I can guarantee that all island is haunted as fuck. I would sort of see it. I see exactly what you mean. It basically, it's an it's almost like a physical, tangible representation of his mental illness. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So whatever's there, I, I, I'm not going to say it is a spirit of a girl or, or as he started to believe that there were spirits of multiple little girls coming and and coming for the dolls and and they were protecting him. I don't really so much believe that, but I do 100% believe that his fear, his anxiety manifested into something because people hear whispers, people hear giggling. The dolls are said to move their heads and again, that's probably because there's like hundreds of spiders in there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, that's and that's snakes also. And snakes. <laughs> but I mean, uh, yeah. If I were to go there as as a medium, I would walk away there shaking. Yeah, I think that so. it would have a pretty bad vibe. Yes. Well, but again, the 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 people of the region they. They see it as a blessed place. So now I'm like, I'm curious because I wonder if the energy is different than what I anticipated by looking at these pictures. Yeah. Because the energy could be really, really lovely. Um, it don't look like it, no. but it could be. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, <laughs> you couldn't be paid enough to go there and find out. No, thank you. I'll pass. There was also Busby's Stoop. You know, Busby's. Sorry, stoop? I was just checking to see if that word set off my phone and it didn't. <laughs> Go for it. So the Busby stoop chair or dead man's chair is an allegedly haunted oak chair that was cursed by the murderer Thomas Busby before his execution by hanging in 1702 in North Yorkshire in the United Kingdom. How badly did I make of that? Yorkshire. Yeah. Yorkshire. There you in go. 1702 in North Yorkshire <laughs> in the United Kingdom. So many deaths were later attributed to people sitting in the chair that the landlord donated it, donated it to the Thirsk Museum. So background. Busby was arrested, tried, and condemned to death after he murdered his father-in-law, Daniel Outy, in 1702. 
Outie and Busby were running a coin counterfeiting business as well as other criminal enterprises, and they argued about the business, which ended with Busby killing Outie. One variation of the story has Busby cursing the chair whilst on his way to his execution, where another one says that he was drunk in the chair when he was arrested and cursed it then. I can't imagine being arrested and saying, I curse this chair. Yeah. That's a bit, it's a bit weird to me. I mean, there's circumstances where I would curse a chair. Like if I've been sat in it for six hours and my bum's numb and, you know, like I would curse the chair. But I think that I have other things on my mind if I was going to death row. Yeah. Or curse the people hanging you, something like that. Why why the chair? The chair hasn't done anything. (laughs) Busby was gibbeted at Sandutton Crossroads beside an inn, which later had its name, name changed to the Busby Stoop Inn. The site of the execution, opposite the pub on the A61 and A167 crossroads. <laughs> That's very specific. To, yeah, right? No shit. Was said to be haunted by Busby's ghost. So locals claim that during the Second World War, Canadian airmen from the nearby base uh, went to the pub, and those who sat in the chair never returned from bombing missions over mainland Europe. Oh, well, that's strange. In the 1970s, there were a slew of fatal accidents linked to people who had sat in this chair. Even though it's on, you know, a crossroads of two incredibly major and busy highways. Continue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In 1978, the chair was ultimately hung from the ceiling at the Thirsk Museum (laughs) to prevent occupancy, even by maintenance. I remember this painting basically nailed it to the ceiling. They nailed it to the ceiling. Goddamn right. But what's funny is that a furniture historian examined the chair and found it to have machine-turned spindles, whereas 18th century chairs were made using a pole lathe. So he dated the chair to 1840, about 138 years after Busby's execution. (laughs) I hadn't heard that part. (laughs) Yeah. So that I enjoy. (laughs) Uh, P.S. It's all bullshit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Some pub landlord made it up to get people to come in and sit on the chair. Sit in the chair, yeah. Because, like, I remember hearing a bit about it where there was, like, a cleaner was just sweeping next to it and bumped into it, and then she died in some tragic way on her way home. And I'm thinking, oh what a bastard if his cursed chair is literally killing off the staff as well. Like, what the hell? <laughs> But yeah, I didn't. I hadn't heard. I hadn't heard that someone had dated the the chair to a hundred years later. That's just fantastic. Yeah, yeah that made oh, me happy. And beautiful. I knew that would make you happy too. <laughs> but there's there's so much when it comes to haunted objects. Like I wanted to go into haunted mirrors, but finding a good haunted mirror story was surprisingly hard. Hmm. Because again, I'm as as you know, as I've mentioned many, many times, I'm a pagan and I've done the mediums and the things like that. Mirrors are terrifying. I will never, ever look into a mirror at night. I will never have a mirror in my bedroom. If I were to be sick and dying, I would insist that every mirror in my house be covered or turned against the wall. Now, these are all old superstitions that I am 100 percent behind. Mm-hmm. Um, mirrors have been used for scrying, have been used for so many things because of their reflective surface. It's so easy to understand why people believe that they could be portals. 
you know, there was um, my my old ex friend. Her house had the gnarliest energy, and I could, it took me a while to figure out what was wrong with it. And it was that there was a mirror in every single room, and not only was there a mirror in every single room, but all of the mirrors were positioned in such a way that you could see into any fucking room in this two-story house from any mirror. Mm. It was insane. Now, that, just on an energy level, is just like, girl, you are invoking Satan into this house. I don't know what you're doing, but it is evil. I, I, that was, it's so deeply unsettling. Energy cannot settle that way. From, from a metaphysical hippie-dippie witch perspective, energy cannot settle that way. Mm. And from a biological standpoint, from a sort of evolutionary standpoint, mirrors are not a primate's best friend because it means that you are turning your attention to other places in a building that you can't necessarily um so so you're sort of like turning your attention outside of uh, how do i explain it um you only need to know what's in your immediate you you, yeah you only need to know what's in your immediate vicinity and what Mm -hmm. could potentially poses dangerous if you put a mirror up all of a sudden there's twice as much (laughs) for you to need to look at and also there's a lot of superfluous information going on that you're like your brain can't actually process so that's Mm -hmm. just that's maybe half of (laughs) it and from a ghosty perspective when it comes to mirrors just as a side note in case anybody was wondering wanted this fun little magic fact uh ghosts can't cross mirrors so as an example, without getting too much into it, there was an entity in my home and it could not, I ended up accidentally trapping it in my daughter's room because I had a mirror at the end of the hallway. My daughter's room is at one end of the hallway and I had the mirror on the other end. Before I had put that mirror there, there was this activity kind of going on all around the house, but I put this long mirror at the end of the hallway just so I could see my outfits before going to work. And then for about a week, my daughter was waking up screaming every night. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. And and this was really unusual because I I saged, I I blessed, I had my graveyard dirt. I did everything from my witchy place to banish this thing, which was not a ghost and was never human. And I don't know how else to describe it because it was strange. But long story short, it, it could not leave her room. So it was just tormenting her in there. And as soon as I moved the mirror, moved the mirror, and I placed tiny little mirrors above every doorway in my house, it wasn't able to enter any of the bedrooms anymore. So fun little, fun little fun fact: ghosts can't cross mirrors. So if you feel like something's trapped in your room and making a ruckus because it's really stuck in there and getting extra pissed off, check and see if you have a mirror kind of trapping it in there. But as far as like haunted mirrors, all you'll see are pictures of people taking pictures of mirrors and going, oh, look at that face of that person that was definitely not there before, which we have no way of knowing. Or look at the haunted handprints on these mirrors that won't go away and they'll wash and they'll wash and they'll wash. And it's just imperfections in the mirror. Yeah, the old ways of making the mirror glass itself. Yeah, but mirrors themselves always make me uncomfortable. I mean, I've got to say a mirror's... Mirrors are an uneasy. Um, uh, mirrors make me uneasy as well. Mm-hmm. Firstly, because I don't like looking at myself, but then secondly, because like you kind of do dumb things when you're okay. <clears throat> I hope my mom never listens to this, but essentially, yeah. you kind of do dumb things when you're younger and you've 
smoked some drugs or other things and people convince you to go into a bathroom and do things with the mirror and stare at yourself and stuff like that and you can scare the bejesus out of yourself and also just generally and frankly some mirrors have a really creepy vibe to them oh yeah anytime i'm in a hotel room i cover the mirror and tim thinks i'm weird but i cannot i literally cannot sleep in hotel rooms ever um, I will stay up until four or five in the morning. I can't sleep in hotel rooms. And a lot of that is because the mirror seems to have kept the energy of whatever's gone on there. You might have a hyperactive survival uh, instinct. So, you know, either way, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's the I whole just, thing about yeah. how um, you, you don't really settle to sleep in new places the first time you sleep there because you need to assess the dangers. And it takes a little while for a person to get comfortable. Whereas with a hotel room, you're not really going to be there for long enough to get comfortable. So With me, I, I know myself well enough to know when when what I'm reacting to is something uh, on on this physical, like tangible plane. And with what with hotel rooms, I'm I'm hot, I'm sweaty, I'm itchy, and I'm I'm anxious, and I just want to like cry and hide the whole time. Oh. No matter how pleasant the the, uh, the whole experience should be. If I'm um, honest with you, most of the time that I'm in a hotel room usually means that it's because I'm going to some kind of event or function or mm-hmm. you know where I'm gonna get shit faced. <laughs> So I'm too drunk yeah. by the time I get back to the hotel to care about anything but sleep. Pizza, then sleep. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough. And then I, same here too. Like, we'll go to Legoland and get a hotel room out there. And everyone's having a ball and I'm just sitting there going, I can't wait to be out of here. Like, just fucking freaking out. It's and a lot of that, I believe. energy, isn't it? That other people's, yes. yeah. Yeah, nobody needs to even have died there, but I just feel every ounce of, of what was once in that room. The only, there was only one time I was ever in a hotel room that did not fuck me up. And mm. it was weirdly enough, it was during the fire last year, we ended up in a hotel room and uh, I slept. And this room, this room had more mirrors than I've ever seen in a hotel room. <laughs> and I, I knew, I knew I was just like, fuck, I'm not going to be able to sleep. This is, this, this sucks. Psychotic amount of mirrors. But I slept like a baby. Well, I couldn't it? understand it. It was in Hollywood. Oh. And uh, for free breakfast the next morning, we go down and we're walking through the, you have to go through the lobby to get to the, the breakfasty nook. Mm-hmm. And the lobby was full of this beautiful India temple incense. And there was like a Ganesh statue and, and some beautiful sort of like Eastern philosophy uh, symbols and, and things like kind of all over the place. And it was so deeply loved. And I asked him, well, do you, do you cleanse the rooms after people leave? And he goes, yeah. No, we go through with our with our oils and our incense, uh, and we clean up, cleanse the rooms. That's amazing. I was so grateful. I almost started crying. I wanted him all like, can I give you a hug? Is that weird? Because that's, that's the best I've ever slept in a hotel room, ever. Oh, well, that's cool. Yeah, nice that was little, awesome. Nice little wrap-up to that story is that yeah. smudging works. <laughs> oh, my God, it really does. It really does. Even when you aren't the person doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could tell, I had no idea that there was, I, I didn't walk into the lobby. I didn't see that kind of symbolism or anything to sort of prepare no, me no, for no. actually being I, able to sleep I th- there. I think people can pick up on things that we haven't been able to explain scientifically yet. I do think that there are other 
dimensions and other um, sort of layers of, of consciousness that mm-hmm. we are not aware of and where we pick up on those sorts of things. So I don't think that you're telling me then that you felt the difference between a hotel room that hasn't been looked after and one that has been looked after in that sort of spiritual way. I believe you because I definitely think that there are un, you know, unconscious, unobservable things, clues that we can see, read, and then react to. And and part of that is that that we just don't know how yet. You know, we yeah. don't know where it's coming from. We don't know where uh, where in our brain is 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 making those um, uh, conclusions. It, but it's real because I've had it as well, where you've walked into a room and just gone, "This room feels." so comfortable and lovely yeah. and nice and I, I want to stay in this room forever and then you walk into the next room and you go I feel in danger I have to go that mirror yeah. is spooking me out I have to go you know you know and what is that what well you know, and, and you'll got to be you something can, in it and you can walk into a room and get that negative energy and you find that without you realizing it you're looking for what it is that's frightening you yeah and if there's a mirror there, that's sort of the easiest go-to. That is such a sensible go-to. Or a doll in a glass <laughs> cabinet. Fuck yeah, fuck yeah. Um, but so my 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 point here is love. Love makes a difference. It really does. A doll that is loved does not usually become a malicious thing mm. unless thrown into like a fucking cage. But, you know, that's why I put so much love towards so many things because I have haunted a house with my negative energy. One of the last houses I lived in, I haunted the shit out of it just by being awful and having so many fights and being so negative there. I don't think there was a ghost there. Huh? That manifested, manifested negative energy. Oh, my God. Yeah. Whoever lives in that house, I feel so sorry for because that house is haunted as fuck. And that's all my fault. (laughs) All right, Danielle, do we feel like we had a good discussion here? I hope so. I think it actually works better with how we've been doing it before, with you doing stories and getting me all into it and then get people into it and then me kind of at the end throwing in some um, sort of like, I don't want to say logical, but that's kind of the best, like sort of like a logical ending. I think it works better, but I would like to throw it out to our listeners to see if they think it doesn't matter which one goes first, they're both just as good as each other or they work just as well. Or if you think yeah. Melanie's story time first and then Danielle's cynical after afterthoughts, just let us know um, over our social medias, which Melanie will give you now. So you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Zombie Fishbowl or Zombie Fishbowl Podcast. We're easy enough to find. Also, if you have any topic, subject, bloopity bloops, you want to throw us into our topic random topic picker generator thingy do wow my words are good today please hit us up at zombiefishbowlpodcast at gmail.com yes so now is the time in the show where we randomly choose a topic so i'm going to the random topic picker random topic picker random topic picker you're not doing your song by now I'm sorry, I was conscious of random topic picker, random topic picker, you're a random topic picker, and you're gonna pick a topic. I went with Woo! some new tones for that one. I love it. I really felt right. it. Right. 
Right, we're shifting gears here. We're going out of the macabre and we're going into the science fiction. Sci-fi <gasps> telly. Sci-fi telly. Yeah, TV. Yeah, lovely. Ooh. So specifically television, not movies. Yes, yeah, specifically television, specifically sci, specifically fi. So science fiction <laughs> television. <laughs> All right, cool. That's awesome. I have some so, favorites. Can't wait to but, talk about it. Yeah, it's a total shift for us for the moment. We've been doing quite a few sort of, um, you macabre. know, macabre stuff. Or, But then again, Unsolved Mysteries was a TV show, but we got to talk about the macabre in relation to it. So, yeah. Well, in our gothic horror, we did a whole lot of like movies and TV and stuff like that. Yeah, but yeah, it is. A, it's a, certainly a change of pace from this episode. Yes. So, um, Melanie, do you have a quote to finish us on this week? I do. Hold on, I gotta find it because my page reloaded, and now I gotta like fucking find it again. Give me a second. Stop yelling at me. No, it's okay. I was gonna say that I could have sworn that somebody asked us to do sci-fi TV, but we usually put a little note next to it that says that if anybody suggested something that we already had on the list, we'll still give them a shout out. But yeah. there's nothing next to it. Um, so I was a little bit worried that we'd forgotten someone. So if we have forgotten you, just know that I haven't completely forgotten you. I remembered that I should have remembered you, but I've forgotten. <laughs> But I've forgotten who you were. <laughs> so when it came to the the um the quote, it was again I was having a hard time finding the right one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went with one of my favorites, a good simple one, very small, very short. Everybody is a book of blood. Wherever we're opened, we're read. By Clive Barker. All right. Uh, it's a punny. It's, it's a punny quote. I wasn't ready yeah. for the pun. I wasn't, to be honest. Because it's usually me that does puns. Yeah. You well, I was. I was trying to find something good about you know something being haunted or dolls, dolls eyes like you know sharks eyes like dolls eyes. I was trying to find something good, but nothing was coming. And not gonna lie, totally dropped the ball on the quote. So it's just like, all right, so let me let me look through some of my favorite horror quotes and see if I can find something that speaks to me. And Clive Barker always speaks to me. I love you, Clive, if you're listening. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, that's perfectly fine. The quotes don't have to be always relevant to the episode. You can just have a nice, pleasant quote for the end of a show. Or last time I did a nice, pleasant quote, you laughed at me and made it super awkward. Yeah, well, your nice, pleasant quote doesn't have to be something that's on a Minions meme. <laughs> it wasn't Minions, it was Kung Fu Panda. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Right, so, yeah, that's it. Um, uh, I hope you enjoyed it and get in touch. Um, please help us by rating and um, reviewing. And, yeah, so that's it. We still need our closing statements, but for now I'm just going to say thanks for listening and uh, see you next week. Bye. See you next week. Bye. (sighs) 